I have the privilege of speaking in a lot of churches. Most weekends I'm out somewhere around the United States talking, and every church I go to has a missions budget and loves missionaries. I mean, that's just the genre of churches that we get to partner with and work with. And uh, there's just that commitment to the Great Commission that exists there. But as Pastor mentioned, most of the churches that I go to, though they have a big missions budget and they love missionaries, they've never sent a missionary from their own church. And so I wrote a book a couple of years ago uh, called Senders. And the whole idea of this was to give a practical help as to how to find missionaries, how to develop missionaries, how to send missionaries from your church. And after I wrote the book, I realized I wrote the wrong book. That's a real bummer, isn't it, to figure out afterwards that I wrote the wrong book because I found out that not every church necessarily wants to send a missionary. Uh, In fact, many churches just don't have that inward desire to do that. They love missionaries and they're going to support missionaries, but to launch somebody from the pews of their church and send them is sort of not in the DNA And so I'm on a bit of a campaign right now to try to encourage that in churches. Your pastor's already voiced that that aspiration for your church. I want to talk about that subject here this morning, about how to be or why to be a sending church. And I'm differentiating between a supporting church and a sending church. You're a supporting church. You support very generously missionaries that go around the world. Your pastor's aspiration, as he voiced this morning, was how do we become now a sending church where you actually send some people from this congregation what we're going to do is go to a very well-known passage of scripture in romans chapter 10 and in that chapter he gives us at least three reasons or three things that should motivate us in the area of becoming a sending church first of all becoming a sending church is a is a heart issue it's something that starts in the heart. Verse, verse 1 of Romans chapter 10 says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. Paul's talking here about the nation of Israel and his heart is for them. But he uses some strong words here. He says, my heart's desire. It's actually the word from which we get the word zealous, zeal, enthusiasm. It's actually the word covet. And normally we think of covet as a bad word because we're not supposed to covet other people's property. But covet can be neutral. It can be used in a positive way. And here it is. He says, the thing that I covet, the thing that I'm zealous about, the thing that I really want more than anything else is that the nation of Israel would be saved. Secondly, he says, it's my prayer. And he uses a... So you get the for prayer there is the, the, the idea of pleading, the thing that I'm pleading to God for. So you get the heart of the Apostle Paul. Earlier in the same book, he put it this way. I could wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And I'm not sure I understand all that Paul is saying in that verse, but I think what he's saying is I would be willing to give my seat in heaven and go to hell if I could get other people saved. Now, I have to admit, I'm not there. I don't know that I'd be willing to give up heaven. But that's probably an indication of my heart or the lack of heart that I have for this thing. So if, if we're going to be ascending church, it first of all starts with the heart. There has to be this zeal, this pleading. There, it, it, it's just a heart issue, Paul says. 
And if our hearts aren't there, none of the rest of this stuff is going to happen. But secondly, it's a theological issue. Look at verse 2. I bear them witness. Now he's speaking about the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel, Jewish people, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to Christ's righteousness. Right there in that verse, you have between Christianity or the gospel of Jesus Christ and all the rest of the world's religions. All of the world's religions are trying to establish righteousness on their own. In Christianity, the message of the Bible is, I can't be right enough, so therefore I have to take on Christ's righteousness. And when he paid the penalty on the cross, he made it possible for me to have that righteousness, to put on those robes, instead of my own righteousness. And, and basically, this verse says, here are people who are trying to live right, but they're not right enough. And instead of taking on Christ's righteousness, they are trying to establish their own righteousness. And right there is the theological reason for missions. There's absolutely no religion, no thing, nothing that we can do, no philosophy. There, there's nothing. There's nothing we can do to become right before God, except through the plan of salvation that is given in the Bible and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that used to be sort of a given in evangelical churches that everybody believes that. I mean, after all, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say there's no salvation among any other, uh, other name except through Jesus Christ? Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, the life, the scripture, and comes to the Father but by me? Those are just sort of straightforward kinds of statements from Scripture that we used to all buy into. But in the evangelical world today, we're debating that issue. Do you really need to become a Christian in order to go to heaven? Do you really need to follow Jesus? Do you have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're a good Hindu or a good Muslim or a good Buddhist, maybe if you're good enough and establish your own righteousness, you'll make it. And that's being debated in the evangelical world today. But let me tell you, when you get to that place where you sort of jettison that doctrine you've really eroded every reason for missions. There's no reason to do missions if you believe every, every road's going to lead to heaven. But this scripture, and Paul says, that basically the dividing line is this. Are you trying to establish your own righteousness, or are you taking on the righteousness of Christ? So, it is a heart issue. Do I really have the passion to make this happen? It is a theological issue. But where I want us to spend the rest of our time is talking about this practical issue of how do we become a sending church? And this is really quite simple. This isn't complex. The next few verses here in Romans chapter 10, sort of from verse 3 right down through verse 12, talks about this issue of establishing our own righteousness. By the time he gets to verse 14, he tells us, here is how this works, practically. Now, what I want you to do is to think for a few moments about dominoes. We've all done this. We, we probably haven't played dominoes, but we've taken dominoes and we set them up in a line. And you, you've seen this happen, where, where you, you touch the first one and it causes the next one to fall down, the next one to fall down. And, and that can happen for thousands of dominoes. This thing can go on for hours if you set up enough of them. And all you have to do is to push the first domino 
in order to make the other dominoes fall. And that's the imagery that Paul uses here in this passage of Scripture. So he says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, you can't be saved unless you believe. But how is that going to happen? That domino is going to fall if they believe in him, but if they haven't heard him, they're not going to believe. So you see the logic here. Number three domino. How are they to hear without someone preaching? It's not possible for someone to believe unless they've heard the message of salvation. But the first domino that has to fall is how will they preach unless they are sent? Somebody has to push that first domino and it's just really that simple. It's that practical as you as a church decide that you want to become a sending church. And that you are going to press people first domino. And you're going to get this chain reaction going because ultimately we want people to fall before Jesus Christ and accept the gift of salvation that he's offered. But that is not going to happen unless they first of all believe. And that is not going to happen unless someone goes and preaches. But ultimately none of this is going to happen unless you as a church decide we're going to send them. This isn't complicated stuff. It really is just a decision that you have to make. Because my heart is right, I've got a passion for this, my head is right, I believe what God is saying, and now we're actually going to do it. We're going to send somebody from this church. Let me ask you a question. Why did you come to this church? I would assume there might be some other churches in the area, you know, in the city or in your neighborhood. And you probably drove past a church or two coming to this church. For some reason, you landed here this morning instead of some other options that you have. I want to pause for just a moment because I'd like for you to think through the answer to that. What what was it that attracted you to fellowship? You had other options this morning. You may have joined or maybe you're just here visiting, but for some reason you're here rather than there. What is it? What is the reason that you came to this church? Breezes, it's one of yours up there. Now, these are good reasons to, to, to choose a church. You maybe like the music here, and you don't like their music there. Or maybe you like Pastor Van's preaching, and you don't like that guy's preaching. Maybe you found friends here that provide for you a support system. All of these are good things. And they're part of what good ecclesiology is all about. But if we come only because of what I can get out of this church, I become a consumer. Basically, we have to get to the place where we say, I am coming to a church because this church has a vision and a passion for reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Pastor Van has used a couple times already this morning, a great commissioned church. We are interested in doing what we can to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of this stuff that we do, is good stuff, and it's stuff that needs to happen. But the whole reason for all of this is not the end. The reason for all of that stuff is so that we'll be catapulted out to fulfill the purpose for which we exist as a church. That has to be the way that we're thinking. There are many places we could go to look at this, but one of the passages of Scripture is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And there he calls us a number of different names. We're a chosen race. We're a priesthood, a holy nation. We're a people of his own possession. And here's the whole reason why we exist. A lie. That we may proclaim, and that's actually the word evangelize. 
that we may evangelize the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into light. The whole reason we exist is there. We don't exist so that we have a nice Sunday school for our kids to go to. We don't exist because this is a nice warm place. We like the seating, or we like the preaching, or we like the music. We don't exist for any of those reasons. That is why we exist. We exist to proclaim what an incredible God we have and those excellencies of how he's called us out of darkness into light. As Pastor mentioned, I was raised on the mission field. My parents were those pioneering kinds of missionaries that went out in the middle of nowhere. And so I grew up in the bush in northeastern Nigeria. And, uh, of course, as I grew up, I was the only white kid around, other than my two sisters. And all my friends were the little black kids. And I had one real special friend by the name of Bullis. And we would play together a lot. And he'd come over to my house, and we'd go to his house. And we just did a lot of stuff. It was a great place to grow up for a little kid out in the bush of Africa. And uh, one morning he came, we were both seven years old, and one morning at seven years old he came to our house and we were going to go play and do something. And, and he started telling me about how he had, in a church service the night before, received Christ as his Savior. And I was thinking in my, the arrogance of my little seven-year-old mind, well, that's what was on me when my dad came here, was so little pagans like you could come to Christ. But he turned the tables on me and he said, Bullis, that was my, my Hausa name, my African name, Bullis, uh, are you a Christian? I said, well, of course I am. Uh, my dad's the missionary. And he said, I don't think that counts. And I said, yeah, but, but I'm from America. You know, everybody from America is Christian. And he says, I, I don't think that's right either. Uh, but, but I'm white and you're black. You need, you know, uh, and I gave him all these arguments as to why I thought I was a Christian. And he kept coming back at me. And finally I figured the only way I could sort my little friend out was to take him to my dad. But when we went and saw my dad, my dad sorted out my theology, not his. He was right. And there is a seven-year-old kid in the bush in northeastern Nigeria. I reached out and accepted the righteousness of Christ that was now imputed to me and received forgiveness of sin. What I've done in the last two minutes is I've just done that. I proclaim the excellencies of a great God who called me out of darkness into light. I wonder this morning... If we took the time and had every one of you come up and stand behind this mic, could you give us a two or three minute story of how you were brought out of darkness into light? Maybe right now you're sort of turning cold because you say, I don't have that story. Today could be the day that you gain that story. Where today, instead of trying to struggle your way to heaven and establish your own righteousness, you could reach out and take the righteousness of Christ. And after today, you would have that story to tell. And every one of your stories is going to be different, but do you have a story? Can you talk about how Christ has called you out of darkness into light? That is the reason we exist. And unless we're doing that, we're basically just treading water. We're not fulfilling the very purpose for which Christ, for which God uh, brought us to this planet. I recently bought new tires for my car. And uh, I, I got 90,000 miles out of that set of tires. Now, I'm not necessarily a careful driver, uh, but 
I think one of the reasons, or possibly one of the reasons I got 90,000 miles out, I don't know what they were, maybe 50,000 mile tires or 40,000, but I got a lot of mileage out of this thing. But what I did was when I bought the car, I went to Firestone and I bought a lifetime alignment. You pay one price and for the rest of the life of the car, they have to line it. I could go in every day and they'd have to line my tires. And so I faithfully did that for 90,000 miles. And those tires lasted. Well, why? Because... Because the tires were aligned. What happens when tires are out of alignment? If one's going this way and one's going that way, you're going down the highway like this. They soon wear out. They soon start causing your steering wheel to go like this. It's not a pleasant experience. But when things are aligned, you get down the highway smoothly and you get distance. That's why the local church has to figure out where are we heading and align everything to that. And every event, every activity, every dollar that's spent, everything, if it's aligned with getting the Great Commission fulfilled, you're going to have a smooth ride. But basically, church splits come because someone decides, we don't want to go there, we want to go here. Or this is a priority for us instead of that. But there's a value in a church saying, we are aligned to say that we are going to be a church where we come to get equipped And we're going to be sent out to the uttermost parts of the world. We're going to be part of this big story that Jesus, that God is writing on planet Earth. Who pushes that first domino? Who is it here in this church that should have that finger? Have to first poised to push the first domino. So the people are believing. They have to first of all hear. Before they hear, somebody has to be sent. Your role as a church is to push that first domino, to actually send somebody. It's not going to happen otherwise. May I suggest to you this morning, there are basically three people that can put their finger on that first domino. The first is you as parents. And maybe we could include with you grandparents. My dad, my grandfather, was a Swedish farmer in South Dakota. And he was a godly man who loved missionaries, loved God. And when missionaries would come to their church, he would invite missionaries to come out to the farm. And he'd ask them to come out at least for a meal, sometimes for, uh, for a night. And he would try to talk them into coming to stay for several weeks if they could. And so these missionaries would come through and they would come out to the farm and they would stay with them. And of course, during the day, they'd go out and do farm stuff. But then in the evening, there was nothing to do because there's no electricity, no television back in those days. They would sit around the dining room table. And my dad would sit there and listen to these stories of missionaries from around the world. And obviously God had his hand on my dad and called him to go to Africa. But but he says that one of the major contributing factors was he had a dad that exposed him to missions and said, this is what I'd like for you to do. Not that I'm going to tell you you need to do that, but that's what I'd like for you to do. That same thing has happened over and over again throughout church history. That many missionaries that are there are because their parents want them to be there. And I realize there are some that are there because they're, in spite of their parents, their parents don't want them to be there. But you need to realize that it already starts in the home and that you have the greatest potential to put your finger on that first domino and push. If you have the aspiration for your children, you can't direct them to do that. They have to be called of God. The church has to send them. All the rest of that stuff has to happen. But the first desire needs to come from you as parents that that's what you want to happen. 
One of the reasons our Bible colleges are shrinking in size is because parents don't want their kids to go to Bible college. They want them to go out and get some kind of education where they're going to be able to learn, earn a lot of money. And so a lot of it starts here with you as parents in this, in this congregation. And this is an intuitive. It's not natural or normal. Why would you want to send your kids, and especially your grandkids, halfway around the world? And know that Thanksgiving and Christmas rolls around, there's going to be empty chairs at that Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner. And then you're going to be saying, good, and you're not going to see those grandkids of yours grow up. And you're, not going to, you're going to be apart from your kids as they're scattered somewhere around this planet. That, that, that runs against the grain of who we are and what we want. It's so counterintuitive. But Jesus put it this way. <clears throat> Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. <clears throat> and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In another passage, you put it this way. There is no man who hath left house or brethren or sisters or father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake and for the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold in this time and in the world to come. God is asking not everybody here to become a missionary, but God is asking some of you to become missionaries. And some of you need to stay here and keep the lights on and keep this church going, but some of you need to go. Well, that's going to happen because you as parents are willing to have a loose grip on your children. And I know it's a sacrifice. And no one wants to be separated from your, well, maybe from your kids, but not your grandkids. You want to hang on to those. And who wants to send them halfway around the world and put them into a dangerous situation? That's just not normal but but if it, if we go back to the first part of chapter 10 my heart is there with a passion for this my head is there because i understand what the bible says about this i'll push on as a parent you're going to have your finger poised over that domino to say i'll push on it and see whether or not god would send my children to the mission field this will happen if parents model evangelism and discipleship and your kids see you doing great commission stuff right here, they're going to get the idea that this is important. It's going to happen when you take your kids to the mission fields to visit. It'll happen when during your devotional time in your family, you're praying for missionaries around the world and you're, you're reading those missionary biographies. It'll happen when, when, you tell, when you invite missionaries into your home. And expose your kids to those missionaries like, like my granddad did for my dad. And, 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 and let them hear the stories of what God is doing around the world. And see if maybe God would use the influence of other missionaries to, to infect them for the Great Commission and, and that they might be willing to go. It'll happen when you stock the bookshelves and the video libraries of your home with missionary biographies and stories of what God is doing around the world. It's going to happen when you replace sports heroes with missionary heroes. It's going to happen... When you as parents are willing to hold your kids with a loose grip and say, if God would have my kids to be missionaries, I'm going to do everything I can to help them to do that. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But because I have this passion, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, and because I have this theology, Romans chapter 10, verse 3, I'm going to push that first domino. 
The second person that really has an influence on pushing this domino is the pastor. Because if the person that stands behind this pulpit does not believe in missions, it just isn't going to happen. Now, I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. I know where your pastor's heart is on this. This is his desire. He has a passion for the world and for, for the Great Commission, and that's what, he, that, that's what he's arguing for and wants to happen. But let me just sort of talk for just a moment about what it's like for a pastor to say that. Basically, the pastor's responsibility is to shepherd a congregation and to make things work. And it is totally counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense for a pastor to want key people from his church to go to the mission field. I mean, go back to the book of Acts in chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas were members at the church at Antioch. Could you imagine what it would be like for, for Paul and Barnabas to be members of fellowship? I mean, Paul, that great expositor, Barnabas, the guy that's so good at counseling and such a good giver, and all of a sudden now they're gone. And let's, let's imagine that we're back there 2,000 years ago. This is the church at Antioch. And they Paul and Barnabas left church. Do you think you would feel it today? There's a vacuum. Paul and Barnabas are gone. They were key players in this church, and now they're no longer here. It was an incredible sacrifice for that church at Antioch to give up their best. And the same will be true of you. It's counterintuitive for a pastor to want to push that first domino and say, you know, we've got some key people here in this church. The, 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 the church sort of revolves around them. They're making stuff happen. And now for us to say, why don't you go to the mission field? That doesn't make a bit of sense. But you'll become a sending church when the pastor puts his finger on that first domino. But the burden really lies upon everyone in this room because all of you as members of this congregation, can also become a domino pusher. Going back to Acts chapter 13, the verse that I alluded to just a few moments ago, I want you to notice something in that story. Here's how it reads. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were some prophets and teachers, and it lists them. There was Barnabas, Simeon, Niger, the Seas of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering, the Holy Spirit said, now pause. Here's your assignment. As I read the next verse, try to answer this question. To whom is the Spirit of God speaking? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work unto which I have called them. Or maybe a better question would be this. To whom is the Spirit of God not speaking? Let me read it again. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work unto which I have called them. Who's he not talking to? He's not talking to the missionaries. He's not talking to Paul and Barnabas because he's saying, You see those guys over there? Send them. Whether he's impressing that upon the leadership team of the church or whether it's the whole congregation, but it was, certainly wasn't Paul and Barnabas. And I realize that as Americans, we, we're sort of independent-minded and we don't want anybody telling us what to do. But what if you as a congregation said, we want to be a sending church? And you start looking around this congregation and you say, Lord, I wonder who it is. 
And a year from now, we'd like to send out our first missionary from this church. If you had to pick that person today, who would that be? Chances are right now there's somebody that's coming to your mind. You see, you as a person in this congregation has the responsibility and the privilege of pushing that domino, of recognizing what God is doing in other people's lives and affirming them in that and saying, you know what? We think maybe you ought to be the next missionary from this church. This is not just the missions committee's responsibility. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. Every one of you should be engaged in this process of saying, Lord, who is it? And then once you've sent them, the next question is, who's the next person? And when you've sent them, your question is, who's the next person? And when you have that kind of a mindset, you then start fulfilling the practical injunction of Romans chapter 10. None of this good stuff's going to happen unless they are sent. And that's who can help to send them. So the question I leave with you this morning is simply this. Do you want to be ascending church? If you do, you as parents have incredible influence. The pastor has incredible influence. But everyone in this congregation sitting here today has a role to play in identifying who that next missionary is. Father, I pray that you would indeed from this congregation raise up many more that could fill the slots that are needed all over this planet. And that, Lord, you would right now be working in this congregation to identify and to launch out the next missionary from this church. That, Lord, this church would indeed, in the years to come, establish this tradition and legacy of being a sending church. I pray this in Jesus' name.